welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. This week's ABCA podcast with someone who touches every level of amateur baseball, ABCA Youth Committee Chair Rob Haney. Coach Haney is Westfield High School Head Coach, Executive Director of the Northern Virginia Travel Baseball League, Chair of the Fairfax County Baseball Council, and was just elected to the ABCA Board of Directors. Since joining the ABCA Youth and Travel Committees, Coach Haney has jumped right in trying to help the organization help amateur baseball. It's brought a fresh set of ideas to help us help better serve the game of baseball. Get your pad and pen ready because we discuss all things amateur baseball in this one. This episode should help any parent, coach, administrator, or organization. Let's welcome Rob Haney to the podcast. Here with Rob Haney, 10-year continuous member of the ABCA, now ABCA Board of Directors, Youth Committee Chair, also on the Travel Committee, but has his hand in so many other things, Westfield High School Head Coach, Executive Director of Northern Virginia Travel Baseball, and Chair of the Fairfax County Baseball Council. Did I miss anything? No, that's that's uh, that's that's basically it. It's uh, enjoy being a part of all these different uh, organizations and and uh, helping to try and grow and promote the game of baseball. What has drawn you to a life of service? I think uh, my parents, the foundational um, education and how they brought us up was was to give back. And, uh, you know, Jackie Robinson talks about his quote, and a, a, a life is judged by the impact it has on others. And um, so that servant leadership that I got from my parents and coaches and teachers that impacted me at a young age um, certainly had a huge impact on me to, to give back. And I think uh, the ABCA and organizations like the ABCA who, who are looking at the game from a 30,000 foot level and, and able to impact the game in so many positive ways, we don't have enough people in my opinion, who are looking at it from a broader perspective. Um, So that interests me uh, a great deal. So, um, just, just love, uh, doing what I can in a very small way to, to try to help the game and, and the athletes that participate in it. 
Well, because it seems like we have an older group of coaches and a younger group of coaches, and we need to try to bridge that gap. I think as a young coach, you don't always think about the service piece because you're you're just holding on trying to, to make a career. And I think we're, we've got to try to bridge, bridge the gap between the older coaches that we have now and, and the younger coaches and executives that are coming up. I think we got to try to bridge the gap for a little bit here. Yeah, 100 percent. And I, I think there's no better organization than the ABCA to do that. Um, it, it's, I think younger coaches come up and, and can be intimidated by, uh, some of the older coaches and, and, and their name recognition and all that they've done in the game. Um, and again, the ABCA just does such an amazing job with the convention and everything else to, to bridge that gap. Um, but I think we need to continue to do things to, to reach out to those younger coaches and, and, get them to understand that there, there are all these doors open to help, um, help the game and, 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 uh, be a part of everything that, that the ABCA does. And, and, uh, I, I think that is an important piece for sure. You know, how, how can someone affect change in their area? I think you're a great example of actually affecting change because you're involved with high school baseball, youth baseball, college baseball, you run a college summer league, you run the Northern Virginia travel league, how can someone affect change in their own area? Yeah, I think that that that's a very challenging piece. And I think it's over time gaining trust of showing servant leadership um, and, and reaching out to other leagues and organizations. Because I think at times baseball, our sport hurts itself by competing against each other rather than working together to grow and promote the game. So, you know, in our area alone, there there's high school baseball, obviously college baseball, there's American Legion, there's travel baseball, there's Babe Ruth, Cal Ripken, Little League. Those are your, you know, main organizations and leagues. Um, and we have such amazing leadership in our Little Leagues and, and Legion and high school that we're able to We've been able to build the trust, you know, through the Fairfax County Baseball Council and beyond in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area um, of doing coaches clinics together um, and reaching out to the other leagues, free coaches clinics for, for all leagues, um, having state of baseball luncheons or dinners where you bring all the league leaders together um, to figure out ways to grow and promote the game locally. And, you know, sort of forcing people to get in the same room. So it's not, hey, travel's a competitor of Little League or, or travel's a competitor of Legion or showcase baseball as a competitor of high school baseball, whatever it may be. Um, I think getting people together in the same room and putting names with faces and shaking people's hands and looking each other in the eyes and, hey, th you know, this guy's really a pretty good guy, I, you know. Um, and, and they're not our competition. Um, so how can we work together? And I think it's just uh, being bold and reaching out to league leaders and getting people in the same room to figure out how we can work together to grow and promote the game of baseball versus competing against each other for players or families or attention, I, I think is a big part of that. How did you layer what you do? Because somebody's going to look at your resume and everything that you're involved with. How did you layer that as you go? Because it's not like you jumped into everything right away. How did you layer all of that as you as you went? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think it was just sort of for me, I've been able to fake my way through not having a real job for, for 30 years and, and just sort of 
uh, figuring out how I can remain in the game of baseball um, and, and that be my job. Um, so, you know, as opportunities presented themselves, um, I, I certainly was able to try to take take advantage of those opportunities and, and, and be a part of baseball at every level. You know, I was on Little League boards for 20 years, 25 years, uh, Babe Ruth boards, um, and I tried to say yes to everything in terms of volunteer opportunities within baseball leadership all the way down to coaching t-ball with my kids and and so that I could see all levels and aspects of the game and really understand them and and the challenges that go with t-ball baseball or t-ball is very different than uh majors you know 12 and under versus or 10 to 12 u baseball then into middle school when they get to the big field all the way up through high school um and, and college baseball so I tried to expose myself to as many different levels and leagues and organizations as I could. And there were so many wonderful leaders in our area that provided me with those opportunities. You know, Ron Tugwell, who is, is the mentor to many of us in the Northern Virginia, DC area, was a 29 year high school coach and literally um, for free works with players and coaches um, anytime somebody asked them. Um, somebody may call them and say, Hey, um, I want I, coach. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what college to go to. I've got these opportunities. They'll say, Hey, listen, I'm going to come over to the house, spend a couple hours with you and your parents and let's talk about it. And that could be a player. He doesn't even know. And he's a, you know, his first ABCA convention was in the seventies. And he's the one that has gotten many of us in Northern Virginia, DC area to join the ABCA. I remember talking to him, you know, I was getting into coaching 30 years ago and he goes, Rob, if you want to be a coach, you got to go to the ABCA every single year. Um, and guys like that who sort of set those standards of, um, you know, jumping on any opportunity that pre presents itself to learn more about the game at all different levels um, certainly set the tone for many of us here in our area. What else does youth baseball need? You talked about getting everybody on the same page and in the same room, but what are some other things that youth baseball needs right now? Yeah, I think it's I think it's thinking outside the box a little bit and and understanding the challenges within youth baseball. Um, right, we're we're competing. What are we competing against with youth baseball? We're competing against probably more than anything, you know, electronics and technology. Uh, I think we forget about that. I think that's probably number one, like, right. How do we get our kids away from screens and outside that that's the first challenge. Once we get them outside, they're now trying, parents are now trying to decide between lacrosse, soccer, baseball, football, basketball, whatever. And, and I think we all encourage multi-sport athletes for sure. But then it becomes what challenges do we have within our sport? I think time is a big one, right. At youth baseball, there's a time commitment. And I think that's just as much parents as it is kids, right? It's, it's that time commitment from a parent, a two hour practice. Do we need two hour, two and a half hour practices, a two to two and a half hour game? Do we need games that are that long? How do we, how do we help and reduce that time commitment for both parents and players? That's certainly one. We all know it's a game of failure. I think that's a big challenge in youth baseball. So when we talk about recruitment and, and retaining kids within our game, those are two big ones, right? It's, it's a game of failure. 
Um, and, it, and it's, you know, the games are boring to some people, to parents. Parents can't, parents don't like the time commitment and parents don't also don't like to see their kids fail. So those road, road bumps, right, and hurdles, speed bumps and hurdles, I think we need to sell as a baseball community. Listen, baseball builds character, mom and dad. Come to baseball, right? It, it's hard to fail in some of these other sports. The spotlight's not on you when you strike out like it is in baseball. Or baseball, that spotlight's on you when you strike out, when you make an error, when you walk a guy, when you give up a home run. You know, soccer and some of those other sports, not quite so much, right? It happens so fast. There, there's not as much, you know, sort of dead time to think about failure. Um, and, and the beautiful challenges that baseball presents from a mental perspective and how it can build character is what we need to start selling to recruit kids into our game and to retain kids in our game. And if we can sell that to parents and show them that we can run fun and organized practices in a timely fashion, um, do some unique things within games. Uh, I think I think that will help grow and promote the game at 12 and under and things like that. And 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 sort of in closing, how how do we go out and, and recruit um, kids and families from different socio socioeconomic backgrounds? Um, from different cultures that may never been exposed to the game? Um, do we go to mosques and churches and, and schools and, and things like that from an outreach perspective to be more inclusive um, and, you know, from an equity perspective as well? Do we offer these opportunities? Um, I, I, you know, this is a guy who runs a travel league. So, you know, travel has this reputation of being expensive. Well, our travel league is is to try to keep is keep people from traveling, right? We're providing opportunities to compete with and against local players and teams so that you don't have to travel as much. But how do we also make the game more affordable? And I think that's a big piece to this as well. Hey, talk about the T-ball modifications you made to the league. I think it's fascinating. I think any T every T-ball league in the country should probably go to this. So just talk about the modifications that you've made for T-ball. Yeah, I think we've, you know, locally, that's why Little League, McLean Little League, we started some of these modifications. And to me, some of the best things that I've ever seen, and, and they work. Sometimes ideas are great on paper and they don't really work. Um, and the first thing was, uh, again, this was 15 plus years ago, originally with McLean Little League, and six player teams, uh, I think is huge at T-ball. And you play an hour and what it is, is, is again, you just have six players per team, all six players bat each inning timing wise, you can basically play three innings uh, in an hour. Okay. And if the coach is organized and has all the spreadsheets together in terms of who's batting, which inning um, it, it just flows really well. Some people will say, well, we don't have enough coaches to have six player teams. We need twice as many coaches to have six player teams than 12 player teams. Yes, it's more challenging. That's why on Little League, Pony, Cal Ripken League boards, you have to have a coaching coordinator, obviously, um, who's recruiting parents um, and getting them to understand that coaching T-ball or coach pitch baseball, you do not have to have an extensive baseball background, right? You're, you're an organizer um, more than you are a baseball coach 
and, and you're there to, you know, make sure that these kids have fun. And ultimately, we all know as a baseball coach, our number one job uh, at the youth league level is to get players coming back. So you should be rated ex almost exclusively on that. How many of your players return to play the game the next season or year? So, you know, back to the modifications, six player teams, they all six bat each inning. And what you do by getting those coaches or those parents involved at a very young age, five and six is the beauty of once you get them involved, they get the bug. Wow. That was really cool time bonding time that I was able to spend with my son or daughter, but also I really enjoyed that. Right. I didn't need to, uh, you know, through the ABCA and, and, and certainly there's other resources out there. You can learn enough about the sport to be a great coach and organizer at that level. So some other things, you know, ideas that can help you manage the game at five, U, six, U, seven, U, we use the PE, you know, those discs from PE, those colored black, blue, red um, disc. And, you know, you throw one at where the first baseman should play, where the second baseman shortstop, third baseman. Um, if you have a couple outfitters, you throw them out there. And on your spreadsheet, it's shortstop, red, you know, second base, blue. Um, and that helps a little bit with the dogpile aspect of T-ball and coach pitch. When the balls hit, they dogpile. Um but it just helps you organize the batter's box mats where you can put um, in your batter's box. They have these mats where you can put, you know, the, the two outlines of the feet go so that you don't spend 12 minutes per game organizing kids feet and where they should stand in relation to the T. Um, so it becomes efficient. It helps on the time side and it certainly helps, um, you know, from, from a teaching perspective. Those are just some things um, that can really help. I think when you get to the coach pitch level, you can get up to that eight player team um, and then you just sort of work your way up. Um, again, Rob, hey, with the T-ball setup, it's first, second, short, third, and two outfielders, no catcher? Correct. Yep. And then Correct. as you add into the next step, then you're adding the catcher in. You yep. know, when you get to eight, then you're adding the catcher in with that. And and a pit is a pitch for coach pitch. Is you have a pitcher out there standing behind the the coach that's pitching? Yeah, usually usually it's up to the individual league how they want to work that. But um, uh, it, I've seen it done both ways, and I, and I think it works both ways. Um, the thing about having the pitcher there, you know, there are a lot of dribblers. So in yep. some ways, you can argue, you know, swinging bunts, if you will, yep. that that's necessary. Um, the problem does also become, you know, you can make an argument, Hey, play your infielders in and get rid of the pitcher so that the pitcher's not making every play. Um, so I've seen it, we've done it both ways. I've seen it done both ways. And I think either works. You know, and talk about the youth travel piece, because I like the fact that they have to play rec league and then they can, you know, by playing rec league, then they can play the, the extra travel piece. Yeah, and I think that's you, – you talked earlier, you asked the question earlier, and we talked earlier about, you know, how to bring people together and, and, and how to organize uh, youth baseball. And that's been a big piece for us at 12 and under, you know, our travel league, uh, which has 400-plus teams, sort of 8U to 18U, and, and you talked about the college league. But it, it – by not – we offer travel baseball at 12 and under our league is Sundays only, Okay. 
And we've had a lot of people push us to try to go seven days a week for our travel league. And we have not done that to protect Cal Ripken baseball, 12 and under and little league baseball, because we feel like the community league baseball, you know, those foundational leagues that have been here forever are critically important to growing and promoting the game of baseball, not only as they grow up these kids, but, but uh, you know, to, to offer, baseball to all levels so we will continue as long as i'm involved uh in our travel league to stay sunday only 12 and under um which essentially forces them to play little league or cal ripkin depending on what city they live in um and we work directly with those leagues on fields so they bring fields to us uh for sunday play in the spring um and even in the fall we play sunday only which provides them the opportunity to play fall ball with their local leagues if they want to. Um, and uh, that that's been an important piece uh, because little league and Cal Ripken Babe Ruth baseball are, are critically important and they need to be here. Hey, when are you adding leading off and stealing? So we've got, we've gotten a lot of pressure on that one too. That's a great question, Ryan. So at, at the travel level, um, reluctantly, we have started to allow them at the Metro level. So at most age groups uh, in our travel league, we'll have a Metro level, which is sort of the highest level. Let's just call it, you know, a, and then our double a level and triple a level at most age groups, uh, depending on how many teams there are. So we reluctantly, and, and I'm still second guessing it and we may change it. 10 you, a or Metro level, we've allowed that to happen. There have, we have been getting pressure from coaches to allow it to happen as young as nine U and eight U. I I would argue as a baseball guy that we should almost eliminate it all the way. I still like the little league. I'm, I'm again, I'm still like the little league model. You can run, but you can't run. It's the old softball. Like I just think it's a better brand of baseball. If you do it that way for the younger kids, because again, those are all things that need to be layered on from a skill development and mastery of the game standpoint. Those are things that need to be layered on as they go. Um, again, it's a cleaner game. It's a better game to watch with the old little league model where they have the foot on the base and then they're coming off and I might get run through the ringer on that and dragged on that. But there's certain things with mastery of the game that need to be layered on. And that's not one thing that needs to be to happen too fast, too quick for kids, because then they're, they're more worried about that than they are about actually playing the game. Hundred percent, and you know, coach's practice plan has to revolve now around teaching them how to lead and steal, and how to prevent steals, and how to, you know, work on all that. And and when that practice plan should be focused on howing on learning how to throw, catch, field, hit, you know, team long-term athlete development. I mean, again, long-term athlete development, the warm-up piece. Those are the initial things of the game that need to be taught and and help them, and then advance to that as they get older. Right. And that, and, you know, our reluctance behind it and the reason we caved and again, we're still looking at it is because our issues are these teams go out to tournaments and they're playing in those, in those tournaments where the, where the leads and steals are happening. So it almost, it's almost as if, and and this goes back to, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the things we're trying to do with the ABCA and youth baseball and a meeting or summit and, and, and those things, but 
it, it goes back to trying to sort of get people on the same page from tournament organizers to little league travel, you, you know, Cal Ripken pony, whatever it may be, you know, how do we start getting on the same page with birth dates and, and, and field sizes and leads and steals. And instead of just looking out for sort of our own league or organization, um, how to work together for the betterment of the game. And I, and it's very difficult, um, but I think those are conversations that we need to have. Well, you just said you have 400 teams. I, I'll be hard pressed to look all over the country to find an area like yours that has 400 teams playing at the youth level. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And, and, and I think we've been able to, we try to stay, um, you know, out of the way and provide, the services that we provide coaches training we do we obviously do player clinics and camps and things like that i mean we're getting ready to brandon guyer played in the big leagues for about six seven years and um it has now gotten into training athletes on the mental game of baseball which is amazing he came out and spoke to our high school team offering things like that uh, you know for free to to our five six thousand families uh i think it's important um you know, scheduling umpires and fields and games and, and, and just sort of providing the logistical side of this so that um, coaches and teams could focus on player development and, and, and having fun and things like that. So, um, yes, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're excited about, you know, the game of baseball in, in Northern Virginia. We've got some uh, tournament complexes coming on board soon and, and, uh, I'm hoping that we can help, you know, be a pilot program uh, for other, you know, geographical areas, metro areas throughout the country on on how we can do the things. We're far from perfect. Don't get me wrong. We're dealing with, you know, I dealt with eight uh, U uh, parent umpire issues, which you know, I think Ryan, you know, I mean, the younger they are, I've got the... Tim Cordell coming on the podcast <laughs> with me soon. He's an umpire, and he spoke, you know, he spoke to the youth and the travel committee yeah. at the convention this year and the the meetings. And for any parent listening in, you are negatively impacting the game for future generations and how you interact or positively impact the game because. You all are running, coaches and parents are running umpires out of the game. And eventually we're not going to have enough umpires to officiate all of these games. And so before you react, I want you to think about whether you're positively or negatively impacting the game of baseball for future years, because you are negatively impacting the game if you handle umpires the wrong way, because this younger generation of kids wants nothing to do with umpiring because of, of the way they've seen parents and coaches handle umpires. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect example, Ryan, of, of what we can do when, when we all try to get together, whether it be a summit meeting or conversations or, or youth travel committees that we already have set up is, is how do we get on the same page with, you know, umpire treatment of umpires, recruitment of umpires, because it is, you know, it, it goes back to what you talked about bridging the gap with coaches. I mean, they're in our area, at least there, most of our umpires are 55 plus. Yes. We do not have enough umpires that are ages, you know, 18 to 50, if you will. And, you know, how do we have a conversation um, globally, if you will, on, on, you know, how we treat umpires, how we share ideas of what you can do. You know, I've heard, different 
things. We've tried things. We, we certainly have gone through the PCA workshops and all those type of things and, and, and need to continue to do things like that. I know Brandon Geyer, who I referenced earlier, is, is working on a parent workshop and how to interact with your son or daughter, how to interact with umpires, how to interact with coaches and things like that. But how, how do we think of creative ways to get parents, assistant coaches and head coaches, but mainly parents and assistant coaches, you know, head coaches is just a matter of, of managing them, right. And not chirping and yelling, but, but, you know, calling an umpire by his name versus yelling out, Hey, blue, or, things like that from a head coach perspective, but how do we get to a point where it's just a head coach who may quietly, okay, um, and privately have a conversation with an umpire when they want to question a call and eliminate assistant coaches and parents from arguing or chirping or complaining about calls altogether. So is that a zero tolerance policy? Do we have to give lollipops to the parents when they start getting chirpy so that they have to, you know, put the lollipop in their mouth. And, you know, those are some ideas that, that, that I've heard about and, and some of which we've tried. Do you have to have a sort of sportsmanship parent in charge of the other parents? Um, you know, you know, like we had COVID coaches, you know, managing the COVID protocols and things like that, which were essentially parents. Do, do we have, you know, that, that parent who's in charge of the other parents? So, Umpires uh, are certainly a big issue uh, and the sportsmanship related around uh, how we treat umpires is certainly an issue we all need to talk about. You talked about streamlining. Was that the impetus for the American Travel Baseball Alliance was trying to, to maybe streamline everything and get everybody moving in the right direction? Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and it's having sort of a you know network or an opportunity to have an umbrella organization for us to have these conversations. I, I, I think hopefully we're going to continue to move down that road with the ABCA, but you know, the, the American Travel Baseball Alliance could as well, where we're talking to event organizers and, and, and you know, from your perfect games to your triple SAs to, to, to all the large organizations um, who are offering tournaments. Um, I, I think one of the issues, and we even hear it locally here is, you know, travel baseball is, is the devil. Travel baseball is all these independent, you know, uh, teams and coaches and organizations sort of doing what they want and things like that. And, and some of that is true. Um, but it saved baseball, by the way. And I've said it multiple times during COVID travel baseball saved baseball because they were the only show in town when everything else got shut down, they found a way to keep going. Yeah. And pushing through. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's certainly big. Um, so I think, you know, trying to get travel baseball to, to talk to each other and network, collaborate, educate, have some standards um, in, in what we're trying to do, share ideas, right? Like so much of what we've done locally, you know, we, we've gotten from others um, just by, you know, my involvement with, with, you know, the ABCA, like, wow, they're doing this over here in Southern California. Wow, that's really cool what they're doing up in Boston. Um, and being able to share uh, and collaborate with each other um, helps us all. Hey, how can we help parents develop a healthier relationship with the development of their young kids, daughters or sons in the game of baseball? Yeah, that's, you know, that's such a big piece because, I you know, because our game is a game of failure and it's so, so, so mental, you know, 
you, you probably heard this before, you know, game may last two or two and a half hours, but you know, there's only live action with the ball being thrown or hit or fielded in roughly eight and a half minutes of those 120 to 150 minutes. So there's so many opportunities for young kids to think about failure or to think about the planes driving <laughs> the dandelions or the planes or whatever. So how can parents help kids deal with that failure um, and sort of embrace the adversity. We have a term at our high school um, that's a little edgy that I won't, but it's embrace, instead of embrace the adversity, it's, you know, when the, back here in Northern Virginia, the last couple of days, it was like our JV team played a game the other night. It was 32 with 25 mile an hour wins. <laughs> embrace the, you know. I've watched adverse. high school games in Northern Virginia <laughs> that time of year. It's, you better buckle up. You better have your hat, your stocking cap and your gloves that time of year when you're trying to watch games. So how, you know, how do we teach? Absolutely, Ryan. How do we teach our parents to A, be supportive, B, to take them to ice cream after, uh, uh, take them for ice cream after a game versus grilling them, you know, from the time they leave the field till the car pulls into the driveway um, letting them understanding how we can be supportive as a parent of our children and, and letting them initiate conversations around um, baseball. Hey, versus old simple s- things. Hey, way to run hard every time when you ran. Yes. Way to hustle on and off the field. Way to be a good teammate. You know, way to congratulate your teammates. Those are all the positive process things as a parent that you can reinforce with your kid son or daughter and get away from the failure piece of the game, like focus on the effort, being a good teammate. Those are all the life lessons that baseball teaches. Like it's the greatest game. It's called the American pastime for a reason because we are how society is. You're not always going to have success in society. So baseball is that way. So really try to embrace the, the process piece, the hustle, the good teammate, being involved in the game, those are all the things as a parent that you can reinforce with your son or daughter as far as enjoyment for the game and, and focus on those things rather than the results. Well, and you you obviously had as good of a role model as you possibly could, you know, with your dad and and who and was as hands off said this a lot, right. was as hands off as anybody as far as my development with me and my brother. We both loved the game of baseball because we were around it and we were at the field, not because our dad was telling us we needed to do anything. It was just a byproduct of us being at the field. And I was lucky I had an older brother that I had a built-in person that I could go in the backyard with and, and play games with. And that was rough at times because you're getting your teeth knocked in by your older brother. But those were all the things that helped us instill. And it wasn't because our dad was forcing us to do it or our mom was forcing us to do it. It's because we were at the field more than anything. And that's another tip for parents. Like take your young son or daughter to games, take them to high school games, take them to college games. If you can afford a pro game, take them to pro games. The more that you can get them to a field, allow them to be at the field and interact and watch, that's going to instill that love and passion for the game of baseball. Absolutely, Ryan. You nailed it on the head from uh, from every aspect. I mean, focusing on the things that they're doing well, that's more life lesson based and rather than outcome related uh, within at bats or, or, or how they pitched or or things like that is, is so critically important and, and exposing them 
to the game. I don't think there's a high school coach that I know that if, if you reached out to him and said, Hey, can, can we come watch your practice or can we, you know, stay after one of your games and meet the kids or uh, even college coaches, same way. Um, if you reach out there, we just have such great people in our sport um, who, who would love to present those opportunities for, for young kids and families to come out um, and, and be a part of the local you know, community. And, and I got you know, a great reminder on Sunday. I went and watched UNC Asheville and Charleston Southern. Jackson goes to, to Asheville, so that was kind of a byproduct. But Coach Friedholm had his son out there, his 13-year-old son out him playing catch before the game. And that was a great yeah. reminder for me of, of being on a, on a field. You know, that was always the great thing about what my dad did was being able to go and interact. And it wasn't a lot, but those were all the things that I, I remembered about growing up was being able to get on the field, play catch. And it just was a great reminder of, of what that means to a young kid to be able to get on a field here and there at times. Um, and again, the more that a high school coach or college coach can, can do that, get involvement, um, I think you're going to reap some some huge benefits. Hey, I want to ask you about ranking yeah. systems because you talked about with your youth team, you have a you know Metro, Double A, Triple A. Do we need that in the youth space? That's kind of a ranking system because it does kind of allow the for competitive balance. Correct. I think we need yeah, to kind of have that right because there is some com yeah. competitive balance with that. Yeah, let me circle back on one thing, and I'm going to answer that question. Yeah. So. Another thing with promoting the game, I don't know, Ryan probably saw this, but UVA baseball now allows all kids to come free to every single game. Yep. They posted that a couple of weeks ago. So things like that, um, you know, Brian O'Connor and Mac and those guys over at UVA are the best around. And and for them to do things like that, that that promotes our game and, and, and helps get the youth involved. So back to the rankings. Yeah, for us, you know, the Metro AAA, AA is really just for competitive balance. So we actually – in our software, which which we built ourselves, um, we have we're able to go in and look at run differentials and graphs at any point to be able to see are these teams in the right division. And trust me, I hate the individual player ranking systems that uh, you know a lot of these uh, showcase orgs may have. This is. All, all, as you said, Ryan, competitive balance. So we want, and again, this doesn't always work too, even when you're playing a team that's uh, of relatively, you know, the same competitive level as you are, they're still going to be, you know, it still matters who's pitching. <laughs> right. It all matters who's pitching. And, and that's especially true in our league in the spring because they're playing little league during the week and Sundays they're, they're, they're playing travel. So we make sure that we coordinate pitch counts between the little leagues and the travel uh, and our little league and travel teams are great with that. But that competitive balance uh, is a huge part of the game because it's useless for both teams to continually play uncompetitive games. So we do our best to try to make sure that teams are within the correct divisions. Um, and if a team's above or below a certain winning percentage in a season, we sort of push them up or down the next season. And we even schedule out the first three or four weeks of a given season. And we wait uh, to see sort of how things play out before we schedule the last six or seven weeks to see if there's anybody that really needs to move up or down. Do you have an end season championship then? Is that how your leagues we work? Do in, in, yeah, we do. In the I think that's the, the best model. I think playing, playing, 
a regular season to build up to an end of season championship, I think is the best way to do it. Uh, Dan Keller and I talked about that on the podcast. You know, we did another youth one with him, but he and I talked about that. I think that's where we run into issues on the the youth and travel side is they're playing for a championship every weekend. So it's like when it all costs every weekend, rather than building up for something at the end of the year where you're playing for a championship at the end of the year. Yeah, the, the most confusing thing to new coaches in our league is we don't keep standings. We, we well, there's no trophies for the regular season. We don't give, we don't keep standings. We, you know, things are posted when, when, you know, coaches enter their uh, game results in, did it get rained out or did they play things like that. But um, we do that for a reason because the focus is, you know, allowing um, competitive players who, who, who want to develop uh, that opportunity without putting the pressure on coaches to be win at all cost coaches. Now, you know, all coaches want to win, all players want to win, all teams want to win, whether you're keeping standings or not. So that's a given. And I think we need to understand that as organizers within the game. Um, But, you know, when a coach calls to complain about an umpire's call that costs them the game, it's much easier for me to now say, coach, we don't keep standings. What, who, who cares if they, who cares who won, who lost, um, right? So this gives you the opportunity to, you know, not just play your worst, you know, hitter or fielder or player one or two innings a game uh, because it doesn't matter. We're here to develop kids both on and off the field, and we're not going to keep standings or give trophies in the regular season uh, in order not to promote that. Yeah. you know, develop kids. Um, let's get away from this sort of win at all cost. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, tournaments are great. Don't get me wrong. Travel tournaments are great. But as you said, Ryan, I couldn't agree more when they're traveling three out of four weekends playing in tournaments every weekend, not only does it hurt family time and things like that, but it becomes, you know, everything's about winning. Um, and you can argue that's a part of development. It certainly is. But everything's about winning, and it's not about it, it, the development aspects. Both on it and waters it down. It it, it really right. does water the the winning and losing down. If every weekend is win at all costs, then you're just banging your head against the wall. It waters winning and losing down. Where you need the development piece, and then yes, let's play for a championship at the end of the year, and then you get the win, the taste of winning and losing at the end of the year. But you build up to that point. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to throw in just one other thing that I, I just remember what Brian, excuse me, Brian, when we were talking about T-ball and things like that, one other uh, great idea that we had one of our state of baseball luncheons that one of the leagues brought to us is free T-ball, yep. free T-ball, you know, the cost of the uniform, some equipment, you know, the league, it doesn't cost much, but when you're talking about recruiting players within uh, to your league, getting them in the funnel, and then figuring out how to keep them in the funnel. Uh, I thought free T-ball with a local league uh, brought that idea to us in one of our, again, state of baseball luncheons. How are they fun in uh, that? You know, for anybody that's thinking about how are they fun in the free piece? Because obviously the uniforms and some of the equipment. Yeah, you know, it, how are they fun in the umpires? You got maybe field rentals. How are they fun in that? Yeah, so, I mean, basically most of the leagues in our area, um, the – the essential cost there would be balls, um, 
helmets, which as we know, most people have their own helmets yeah. now, but, it, but at T-ball, not so much. And, and uniforms is the big cost. Umpires, they're not paying umpires at that level anyway. So that cost is not there. Um, most of the leagues already don't have, as I said, the field rentals, but um, they're basically funding that through the rest of the league. So the argument would be, you know, is that fair to the rest of the league? But the argument would be, listen, we're trying to build our league. It's sustaining your league. league. It's a great right. point because it's going to make your league more viable because you're going to get right. more kids to then play that next year. Like it's a great idea. Yeah. And, and you run, I think the biggest thing you can do, right, is run and, and not enough people, not enough academies, not enough leagues do this because it's hard. Like, can you run T-ball coach pitch sort of five U to seven U camps and clinics and, and you charge 25 bucks. This is a league, let's just say um, 25 bucks to, to um, help fund your free T-ball. Can you in the winter time do some mom and me, dad and me, you know, classes where it's just basic catch and throw skills, you know, where, where I know I'm getting off on a tangent a little bit, but you know, how are we teaching our, our young players how to throw? The, the worst play, the worst way to teach young players how to throw is have them play catch with somebody else their age for sure. at five U, six U. Yes. Right. Have them try to throw it through a fence, have them try to throw it through a coach, have them try to throw it through a parent. Um, and then catching skills, you know, same thing. How do we teach them how to move to the ball, fingers up, fingers down? You know, so tennis, ball, tennis balls, rag those. balls with no glove. Like there, there's so many things that you can do for the young kids to help them. Wiffle balls, have them play yeah. without a glove on with wiffle balls, tennis balls, rag balls. Right. There, there's a lot of things that you can do to help them develop because uh, that is always the initial tough part is them playing catch with another kid their age because it's pitch and right. fetch Which now. It's not, it's not pitch and catch right. anymore. It's pitch and fetch. Yeah, yeah. So sorry for that tangent. No, 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 no. Because I, you know, and that's why I love talking to you because we always get on these tangents. Been doing this for a long time and have been successful with the way that you're running things. And that's why I'm excited about this podcast because you're so successful and how you're running things because you're getting kids to continue to play the game in in the right way. And your numbers show that with the amount of teams and players you have playing in your leagues. Hey, how's the high how's the high school season going? Uh, going well so far. We're we're uh, getting ready to head um, head to Vero Beach on, uh, and which is really cool. We're going to Dodgers ta- Dodger Town. So the history. We had a parent player meeting last night and um, started talking about the history of Dodger Town because I want our appreciate I want our players especially to appreciate where they are. It's as you may know, Major League Baseball took it over and they now run it. Um, so it's called the Jackie Robinson Training Complex. So uh, you know, when, when we go down there, um, I, I'm going to have the staff down there talk to them a little bit more. You know, I think it goes back all the way to the late 20s, maybe, um, and, and all the amazing players that have been through there. So we're certainly excited to get down to the 80 degree weather and we're, we're five games in and and uh, have done very well so far. So, hey, uh, how many how many of your players on your roster have come through your youth leagues? All of them? Yeah, I would say every one of them. Yeah. And then, yeah. by the way, that's the, the positive byproduct of all of this, too, is you're, you're growing from a grassroots level. That's obviously going to help the high school program at some point. 
hundred percent. I mean, if you're a public high school coach and that, uh, that's why I love being a public high school coach, because you don't have to worry about recruiting, at least in our County and some other counties there, there may be some, there is some recruiting going on, but um, the beauty of it is listen, being a high school coach, you can be a really good high school coach an average high school coach, but the biggest impact or the, the biggest differentiator is how could, how good those kids are when they come to you as a freshman which is basically saying, what have they done from ages five, six U to age 14, 15 U and who has been around them, what those leagues have done, what those coaches have done to impact those kids, both on and off the field. Listen, the T-ball coach pitch majors, triple A, double A, little league coaches and, and, and travel coaches and Babe Ruth coaches. You are the most important coaches in this sport by far. That's why Don't my high school program was good. We all played in the same leagues together all the way through until we got to high school, all the way through. Right. So we, you know, Coach O'Connor, Coach Corbin, Coach Slosh, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, you know, it's different, obviously, in that they're not getting kids directly from a specific little league, but, but the foundational uh, aspects of the game and, and, and the life lessons are built from all of you coaches that are coaching at the Little League, Babe Ruth, Cal Ripken, younger travel ages, um, and, and you're so critically important um, to, to these kids' lives. And, and it's just, I'm so excited to talk about youth baseball because, uh, you know, it's so, it's so important. I saw UVA last weekend over at Wake. I went over to their practice on Thursday, but their roster is filled with really good players from Virginia, from the state of Virginia, yeah. really good players. And their whole yeah, roster and it, it's good Virginia players. And it's a perfect example. I mean, Brian and, and Mac, and they, they've had an impact on the game of baseball in our whole state, yes. right? And, and not because they've gone to four or five World Series and won it in 2015, but because of their servant leadership and the way they give back with the ABCA, the VBCA, um, and, and, you know, I brought my high school staff there, I think six or seven years where we go for the weekend and we, and Brian breaks us down to the dugout and he's talking to us about why they're doing this drill and why they're doing that drill and, and, and just so giving and, um, and, and just such amazing people. Um, and they, it's just a great example of how you can impact a whole state within one program. What are some other things we need to be doing? Because these are all the issues that we talk about with the youth and the travel committees with ABCA. What are some of the other things that we need to continue to help with? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we touched on it briefly early, earlier. Um, we're excited. Um, you and I have talked about it briefly of, uh, of this fall or maybe early winter, um, trying to have a state of baseball, sort of youth baseball summit that focuses um, – at more so on the 14 and under level. I mean, you could, yeah, you could talk about all the way up to 18, but um, getting people from different leagues and organizations, community, you know, Little League Pony, Babe Ruth, Legion, whatever it may be, if it's 14 and under, obviously doesn't include Legion and, and talking about these issues uh, and, and how to impact them from a national perspective. Um, and then obviously that would funnel, funnel down regionally and nationally. So uh, again, there's so many I great ideas that local leagues have um, that others don't know about, um, you know, free T-ball, you know, six player 
you know, teens. Because we uh, have to bridge the gap to high school. Be. Really, that's where we, we've got to bridge that 13, 14 age range. You know, that's where we're losing players yeah. is the, the big field 13, 14 age range. So that's where we have to try to figure out how to bridge the gap from that two-year span to get them into high school and, and into a high school campus playing baseball. Right, because our, our, our biggest, you know, we talk about recruitment, and then it's retainment. So as you just said, Ryan, we lose most of our kids when they get to the big field, okay? There's three real big spots. When they get to high school, and they're worried about making their high school team. But if you sort of work your way backwards, when they get to the big field and the challenge of the big fields, right, it's not just – the biggest kid doing the best because they're the biggest and strongest. There's so many challenges in that. I, I love coaching 13 U. right? There's, there's so much to teach them. They're so impressionable and, and it's just, it's awesome. But then also, Hey, I, coach, Matt, coach yeah. McMullen threw this out there. Could we go intermediate where you have in between bases between before they go to 60 to 90 or on the mound? Is that, is that something to throw out there at some point? can we do intermediate bases and pitching mound in between to kind of help them bump to then the 60 foot pitching mound and 90 foot bases? Like I, and again, I'm just kind of new into all of this. And I don't even know if that's ever been brought up because I thought Mac had a good point. Is there a way to kind of bridge the bases and the, the pitching mound distance to where before they get to 60 feet, 90? Yeah, I mean that's why Mac's so good at what he does. Absolutely, <laughs> I mean that's it's such a it's such a huge issue. Um, you know, they're seventy foot at eleven u twelve u travel, and they're sixty five foot now and things like that. But but there's so many thirteen year olds, especially that have no business being on a ninety foot field yet. And and when you bring this up locally or nationally, everybody says, well, we don't have the right size fields to do that. We don't have the infrastructure to be able to change all these fields or things like that. And what I think they need to focus on, don't worry about the fence distances. Yes. Just worry about the, the, the infield, distances. the infield distances. Right. And because these 13, by the way, we all played on fields that didn't have fences back in the day. Like when Correct. you're growing up there, you, you would play on a field with no fence. So it didn't really matter. Like, yeah. okay, the outfielders would have to run and get it. So like that outfield distance really doesn't matter. I know it's more fun because people hit home runs, Right. But the outfield distance doesn't matter. It's about what's going on on the infield. It was fun. We played uh, this past weekend, my high school team. My son, Kyle, is a senior now. Um, so it's it's coaching. This is my last coaching experience with one of my kids. So it's it's uh, it's, it's good and bad, right? It, it makes me tear up at times. But uh, we went back to play at you know, this, this school in Arlington, Washington, and Liberty High School, and it's been there for – I don't know, 75 plus years, 80 years. And I played there, you know, 35 years ago. I'm like, God, when I played here, there was no fence. He's like, dad, no way. There's a high school baseball fields all had fences. I'm like, Kyle, there was no fence. It was hit a line drive and go. Now for me, I probably got to second base. If I, if I hit it past the infield. Hey, there were some college fields back in the day that didn't have outfield Drexel Drexel university didn't have an outfield fence. They played in a city park. And if you hit it into the bushes, it was an automatic triple. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, back to it, it, it's just having these out of the box concepts and ideas like field size, base sizes are so critically important, important to retain players. Ryan, you know, as you know, you're working on ball modification discussions. You know, I've always said, why in the world 
when when kids get younger, okay, we force them to cover the entire plate, uh, you know, a 17 inch plate, just like a major leaguer. We we force them to do these things that that they can't do. Why don't we have bam bam bats at T ball, coach pitch, machine pitch? You know, when they start seeing the ball move, mainly coach pitch, machine pitch. Like, let's get the fatter bats. You know, right now it's 13 and up have the the bigger barrels and, and these poor six, seven, eight year olds that are starting coach pitch and machine pitch are hitting with these skinny barrel bats and not having any success and therefore leaving the game. So how can we modify bats to not have the, you know, this huge exit velocity impact, but why not allow six to eight year olds to use big barrel bats so that there's more balls in play uh, and, and there's more success and, and you and I, and, and, and I think Carrick have talked about this as well. You know, are we forcing kids to pitch at too young of an age? Yep. Um, and then there's too many balls and the games becomes boring, too many walks, too many, you know, things like well, that. Dan so, and I talked about that, you know, the, the old little league model took care of all of that because you're playing nine to 12 year olds. And usually your 11 and 12 year olds were the ones that pitched. It wasn't your nine and 10 year olds, right. unless you had really advanced nine or 10 year old, but usually the older kids. And, and again, for me, 11, 12 is probably the right time for a kid to get off the mound for the first time because they have enough strength to do it. And that, that was back in the old days. And you weren't playing as many games back then in Little League. I mean, you're playing maybe maybe two days a week. You're practicing four or five days a week, but, but playing two days a week. So there wasn't that, okay, even if you used four 11- and 12-year-olds, it really wasn't that big a deal because you're only playing two games that week. Um, yeah, and I think, I think we get caught up in this, and it goes back to the leads and steals you talked about earlier, Ryan. We get, we get caught up in this. We need to prepare them to pitch. We need to prepare them to have leads and steals. Well, well what are we just going to keep moving that down? Okay, yeah. now it's 10U, so we got to prepare them at 9U or it's 8U, or we need to prepare them to be pitchers at whatever age. No, we, we, need, to we need to teach them the foundational player development principles of, of, of throwing, catching, base running. You know, hey, you, those, you, give, me, you give me a kid happen. from 6 to, to 10 and let me just work on him throwing and working on playing catch, I guarantee they're probably going to be able to throw strikes when they get off the mound at 11. Yep. I guarantee it. I will guarantee it. Absolutely. By, by having four years of just playing catch and hitting their target, I guarantee we'll be able to translate that when they get big and strong enough to at 11 now being able to, to throw the ball over the plate. I guarantee it. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the issues and Ryan, you make me think of this with youth baseball and you and I have, uh, have talked about this uh, and David as well, or Craig as well is, is at some time, some points it, it, we get caught up and this is how we've always done things. Yeah. All right. Travel, Legion, Cal Ripken, Little League, whatever it may be. I'm not pinning it on any organization, but we can't do that. We've done it this way for 20 years, for 50 years, for 70 years. Um, you know, and, and well, okay, well, things have changed, right? We need, we need to, we need to be able, we need to be open to new ideas and we need to be open uh, to help grow and promote the game nationally, not just within our specific organization or league and, and, you know, and I, you're, you're doing some good pilot stuff. Like that's the, the unique thing is you do some pilot stuff. There's nothing to say that if you have a, a league 
that one of those games that week, you can try something different from a modification standpoint. So, okay, so say you have a kid pitch. Say even eight you, you have kid pitch. Make one of those games a week a coach pitch game. Or make one of those games a week a, a modified T, T game. Like, you, you could structure different things. Like, it, it's your league. You can do however you want with it. Okay, let's do a modified schedule where, okay, yeah, if you want to introduce them to coach pitch, don't make every – or kid pitch, don't make every game that week kid pitch. Mix in some coach pitch so now we get some action so you get both of it. it, it it's that microdosing piece. Give them a little bit of taste of the kid pitch part, but then let's have some games where we're whacking the ball around because the coach is throwing it over the, over the plate for them. Absolutely. I mean, we have, as you know, even in college and high school, you're, you know, do we enter squad today? Yeah, we want to enter squad, but you know, the pitches, our pitches aren't throwing enough strikes and it takes too long. We're not getting enough defensive action or base running action. I mean, it happens at the high school college level. For sure. So it's a co- it's a, it's going to be a coach pitch day or it's going to be right. a pitching yeah. machine day. You do it all the time Absolutely. at the, the upper levels and you talk about getting so, them prepared. Well, that's what they're going to see at those levels. So you can do that at the youth level. You can mix all that stuff in because that's what they're doing at the upper levels. They're doing it at the, at the big league level too. They're using machines. Yeah. Like if you want to talk about getting them prepared for the next level, well, those are the all th- things that at the next level they are doing. So you can do that with your youth kids too. Absolutely. And and just to build upon what you just said, you, you are so right, is, 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 hey, in the fall, are we just going to, how do we maybe eliminate games or only have eight games versus 16 games? And, and how do we run efficient and organized and fun practices? And that's where the ABCA comes in. I mean, to have access to four or 500 videos from the best youth college, high school pro coaches and instructors in the game. um, It's pretty easy to build a practice plan around that and, and run a practice where kids love to come to, but where they're also getting better and, you know, just having little things like um, guys, nine minutes early is late, you know, from a coach, how to wear your hat, right. How to, you know, polish your shoes. We did stuff like that in single A, double A when my kids were eight, nine, U. And I have guys that are coaching with me now or for me in high school, like coach, I remember, you know, we had to polish our shoes before every coach bitch game. And, you know, because what happens if, if they, if you tell them they have to be there 10 minutes early, that instead of them playing video games and mom and dad's dragging them reluctantly to practice 30 minutes before the practice, they're tugging at mom and dad's shirt saying, Hey, we can't, we got to be there 10 minutes early. So I think these, these amazing and wonderful opportunities that the ABCA provides, not only through the convention and, and all the other things that you have done through the podcast and barnstorming clinics and, and everything else, um, these resources, makes it real simple, make it real simple for coaches who don't have baseball backgrounds to run a fun and efficient and organized practice. So the app's another piece, you know, the app, the app has all of it. It has the video library, but then it has the hard copy resource. There's practice plans in there. There's all kinds of stuff. There's, there's dugout management stuff in there. There is all kinds of stuff in the app for people to dive into that are ready to go. You can print all those hard copies off the the app if you want. Like the, it, it's all there, ready for you to go. I think I speak for almost all coaches, and you remember this. You know, uh, I, I, I'm sure. Uh, some of my, my favorite part of the day is writing practice plan. Yep. Um, you know, when we get off this podcast, I'll probably be getting into my practice plan for today's practice, and and 
Um, you know, and I know a little league coach or a Babe Ruth coach um, isn't a baseball nut like myself. And, 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 but, you know, taking 15 minutes to run a really cool, uh, fun and organized practice, um, it, it will pay off and you'll have a lot more fun coaching too. That's I mean, a big it, piece of it is you're going to yeah. enjoy it a lot more. Uh, the kids are going to enjoy it a lot more and the coaches will enjoy it a lot more. Just, and it doesn't have to be, it's not earth shattering. Have a, a template that you set up. You can mix different things in, but teach them how to warm up properly. I was so fortunate with my, my little league coaches. They were organized. They taught us how to warm up properly. They taught us to do arm exercises at a young age. So that routine carried me my entire career as a player because you just got used to warming up properly, arm exercises, then get into all the other practice piece. And there was a reason I stayed healthy too. Like besides playing right. other sports, I stayed healthy, but that was a reason my arm stayed healthy my entire career because of all the stuff that I was doing at a young age. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hey, what'd you learn from Rick Jones? Rick was, uh, I, I still use this saying, um, with my high school pitchers and, and, and they get frustrated with me, just like I used to get fr frustrated with coach Jones. Um, no three ball counts. So I, I, I pitched at him for or pitched for him at Elon and, and you'd get to a three ball count far enough or two ball count far enough. No three ball counts. My coach, I'm not trying to throw balls, but what it always, what it really helped me with, and it sort of changed me as a pitcher um, he certainly knew a lot about pitching and, and the impact he had on me and all of us that played for him uh, at Elon was tremendous. But, um, you know, the, the thought process is, is if you never get to you're never going to walk anybody if you don't get to three ball counts and and just trying to train our pitchers to get after guys and don't 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 give hitters too much credit. Right. And that that's the one thing that always stands out to me. Uh, with Coach Jones from a pitching perspective, but that was, was my so dad too. Like it's same thing, pitch aggressively. He said it a million times. They're not the twenty-seven Yankees. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and and Coach Jones was so organized and and uh, to me ahead of his time and in many many aspects. And obviously was a has been a long time member of the ABCA and uh, you know impacted many of us who who are now still in the game. Uh, because of him. He was, he was awesome. Hey, what are some other resources that you're using that, that maybe some other coaches that are coming up, especially youth coaches, need to dive into? Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, from a resource perspective, obviously the ABCA to me is number one. Um, USA Baseball has some, some good free resources on their site. Um, if you just go to their site, uh, Coaches Insider and, and so many different um, I know Little League University has opportunities. Babe Ruth um, has a partnership as well uh, to help train their coaches and players. Um, but but I think locally, you know, if I'm if I'm a Little League board member or Cal Ripken or travel league coach or, or run a travel league organization program, I'm reaching out to my local high school or college coaches um, because they're all willing to help. Uh, and they want to help. And I'm reaching out to them to, 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 it's just like when, when we all walk around the ABCA convention and we're, we run into, you know, uh, uh, Tim Corbin and, and you get, you know, what's your elevator pitch or 30 second, what's your one question to Tim Corbin? 
what's your three favorite drills or what's your favorite hitting drill or what do you think about this, right? You got to sort of, so I, I think our little league coaches, travel coaches, youth league coaches, same thing, like reach out to your high school coaches, pick their brain, ask them to do a clinic with your league or if you're a coach of a specific team, um, you know, we're excited to sort of get involved now that, you know, COVID is a little less crazy to get back involved with our little league and get out there uh, once or twice on Saturdays where all, all our players are in their jerseys and they're sort of baseball buddies for the day and the local little league. And I, I think that's another thing for little league uh, organizations. Again, another tangent to, to think about the number one advantage that community rec house leagues, little leagues, Cal Ripken leagues, Babe Ruth leagues have um, whatever you want to call them is the ability to sell the community. So when you have these multi-field little league complexes where kids can go, uh, they have a game, let's say Saturday at two, but they show up at 10 AM and they stay at the complex all day. No other sport has that basketball. You're in and out soccer. You're in and out football, maybe to a degree. And, and we need to sell that. We need to use that. Well, so what do little leagues need to do? They need to schedule all their games on Saturdays at that complex. Don't one off it at six different sites. Stack that facility all day, have the concession stand open. And now we're creating those memories that you and I have from playing little league baseball. I mean, I, I remember going up there 9 a.m. playing cup ball all cup day ball. or wiffle ball or, and, and watching my buddies play. Hot box. And we had the seven, right. How, yeah, absolutely. We'd have the 7 p.m. game and boom, eating Little League pizza from the snack bar. I mean, that is what we have to sell at the community league level. We need to take advantage of that and sell that when we have these multi-field complexes. That is a differentiator. Even when you're talking Little Leagues or Cal Ripken Leagues trying to keep kids from going to travel only at that age. Uh, you know, I think that is crazy. Travel only 12 and under. Okay. But you know, use that, sell that. Hey, what stuck out to you? These were your first convention where you're on the board and the executive committee meetings. What, what stuck out to you this year about the convention? Yeah, it was, it, it truly, you know, my first convention was in, I got engaged right after. So I should know this 96 uh, in Tennessee and Nashville. I believe it was 96 was my first convention. Um, being sort of behind the curtain, uh, truly, uh, was amazing and shocked me how much work is done uh, behind the scenes to make that such a seamless event. I mean, we've all heard it, right? It's the Disney world of baseball. It, it, it's the place you have to be if you're a baseball person. Um, and it, it was so exciting for me. Also, we had some new uh, coaches or not new coaches, but coaches who are longtime coaches, was their first exposure to the ABCA convention pudge at Madison and some others. And, and they were just simply blown away, but to be able to get behind the scenes and, and see the incredible passion that our executive committee and our, and our board has for the game of baseball and how to grow and promote it. I mean, when you hear, uh, you know, just these college coaches who are so well known, Dan from Louisville and, and, and all these guys just who care about the game all the way down to 5U, 6U. And, and, and it, it's just truly amazing and gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And um, the, the board and the leadership and the staff that the ABCA has 
uh, is second to none. And I'm just so excited to be a part of it. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Yeah, I think it, it wasn't really a failure moment, but to me, the first thing I thought of when you just asked that question is, is my son, Kyle, who's now a senior, as you know, Ryan was diagnosed with leukemia at age six and, uh, uh, you know, obviously tremendous impacts, uh, negatively on all of us. Um, and just one of those moments in our lives as a family, um, that was devastating, uh, three and a half years of treatment, chemo, radiation, almost a year homebound, no school, um, no sports. And this just gives you a perfect example of the impact of our game. I mean, the, the only thing that Kyle wanted to do, again, he's age six. It happened in the middle of his fall ball season. I was his coach. He's in first grade is get back to baseball, get back to baseball. So we were able, baseball was really the only sport he could play basketball, germs, football contact. Um, and for him to get back to the game of baseball, um, was, was life-changing for him, um, to have something to look forward to each and every day. Um, but for, for me, uh, that was certainly it, right? All of a sudden we're dealing with a child who has, has a, you know, a, a very serious illness, um, and dealing with that, not only for Kyle, but, but Maddie, our daughter and Robert were both, both older, um, and, and very devastating for them as well. And, and how do we balance the attention that, um, now has to go to Kyle for his treatment and, and everything else. So it was life-changing for me because it gave me perspective. So all of a sudden we talked about- How do you keep serving. it together as a parent? I mean, how, how did you keep it together? To be honest, we didn't keep it together, right? But it was the whole, you know, the duck, you know, what, what's going on beneath the water was very different than what was above. So we, you know, Kieran and I, my wife and I had to keep it together for our three kids. Right. So anytime we were with them, which was, <laughs> you know, pretty much anytime you're not at work, we had to show strength and compassion and, and everything else. Um, but that experience um, built us as a family, certainly built me, um, made me appreciate um, everything in life even more. Um, Kyle is now a healthy 17 year old who's six five and playing baseball in high school and i just can't stop smiling because of of, of where he is right now and, and and where our other kids are and our family but it was life-changing you know we created kyle's camp with the washington nationals and have been fortunate enough to raise about 2.5 million dollars for pediatric cancer research research with children's national and that really again i talked about the foundational principle principles when you asked me about servant leadership man, this is this great opportunity to use the sport of baseball to impact others um, and, and to be able to raise all that money through the years in partnership with the Nationals through our sport of baseball um, is just so fulfilling on so many levels. So that was certainly a, a huge impact on my life. And I, I came out of it and I think our whole family did. And Kyle's got the best attitude of any kid I've ever met. Um, getting ready to pick a college, things like that. But it, it just to come out of that and, and working with other families who were experiencing the same thing. Um, and, and unfortunately some kids that passed, um, 
you know, during that time or later, or, or can, you know, obviously continue to deal with pediatric cancer um, was just so impactful. And to see the doctors and the nurses and, and the, and, and everybody that works with kids who are, and families who are dealing with that, just such an inspiration on so many levels. For anybody that wants to dive into Kyle's camp, where, where can they find Kyle's camp? Uh, the website, uh, you could go to either one. Kyle's, we're actually just changing it over. So I think it's, I think it's down for like a week, but it'll be up probably this weekend, kylescamp.org, both with K. So it's K-Y-L-E-S-K-A-M-P.org. It'll be back up uh, this weekend. But yeah, just, just, and again, that's, that's just good people like the learners and the Washington Nationals getting involved and, and just the amazing people at Children's National and, and the beauty of, of pediatric cancer research, research is they obviously share it, um, you know, children's, children's and CHOP and St. Jude's or, you know, all, all sharing these um, therapies and, and we've come so far uh, with children's cancer. And unfortunately, the federal government, sorry, on my pediatric cancer, you got me on my uh, soapbox you know, only dedicates about 4% of, of cancer research to pediatric cancer because there's there's not as many cases, so there's not as much money in it, right? Uh, pharmaceutical companies aren't developing enough pediatric cancer drugs for that same reason. So we saw this incredible void and opportunity to, to do something special through our sport uh, with that. Um, but just, just again, all the, all the amazing people that were a part of it, all the volunteers and continue to be a part of it, have inspired me and our family in a huge way. Any evening or morning routines you do, you like, you're busier, you're way busier than me. So what, anything that helps you stay on track? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I certainly need to be more healthy, but you know, for me, um, it, it's trying to make sure, and it's very difficult during the baseball season, but trying to make sure that we have family dinners as often as possible, trying to make sure um, that, that we continue to do things that a, as a family um, is huge for me, whether it be mini vacations or we're already planning our uh, three or four St. Louis Cardinals trips. Uh, we're huge Cardinals fans. My family's originally from St. Louis. So Pujols coming How back. How pumped are you about that? Oh, yeah. My daughter texts me right away. She watches every single game on the MLB network, every single Cardinals game. And so we're and while we're down in Vero next week, we're going to go down to West Palm, watch them play the Astros. But we're going to plan a trip there. So, you know, in terms of morning and evening routines, um, you know, I've got these different, as you said, I'm involved in so many different levels of baseball, but it's, it's, you know, getting to the office early. Unfortunately, I've been the only one in the office for two years with COVID um, and, and just catching up all, all the NVTBL stuff with the league and um, uh, trying to uh, manage all of that, um, you know, it, it, like my routines, I, I need to learn something from you change depending on the season, right? Because it's, it's, I, I need to be better with that and try to try to try to get to that. But certainly uh, prayers for me are a big thing. Yeah. Uh, my morning prayer and my evening prayer. Um, again, talk, going back to when Kyle is sick, I, I say the same exact prayer every evening. Um, I did it with Kyle for about five years. Uh, we'd say it out loud or I'd say it out loud with both of us there. And, and then he got a little bit older and didn't, didn't, uh, didn't continue to do that once he became a teenager. But I say the exact same prayer where I mention um, 
about 40 to 50 different cancer patients, survivors, and, and kids that have passed and their families and, and have it memorized. And I, it's a big part of my life saying that every night. Um, I think another piece for me is, is appreciating the country that we live in. Our, our kids say the Pledge of Allegiance before every single game at Westfield, High, or every practice, excuse me, at Westfield High School. Um, we stop games when the national anthem are coming on the soccer field, the cross field, softball field, and our kids stand at attention right after that pitch for the whole time. So appreciating all, all the people that have, have, you know, protected our freedoms here uh, are a big piece and appreciating, you know, our country and our uh, nurses, doctors, police officers, firemen, and, and, and we have different games. I'm sorry, a tangent again, where um, military appreciation, police, you know, servant, people who are servant leaders to us in our communities. Um, we bring out the teachers one day and have a teacher appreciation. They throw out the first pitches and all that type of stuff. So we need more of that now. We've lost it. Yeah. We need to get it back. We need to, to find whatever we can as a society and as Americans, we need to find a way to get that back. How do we bring people together? I'm just, I'm just so tired of the social media just breaking us apart and the news outlets breaking us apart and choose one side or the other how, how again how can we use our game to bring people together right and it doesn't matter what political affiliation you're from let's let's come together and, and let's use our sport uh to provide that mechanism there's there's certainly ways to do that and that's been the history of baseball throughout the history of america baseball has been there you know, and, and obviously Field of Dreams hit it right. You know, that that's true. We have been there. The game of baseball has been there to shepherd America through any sort of strife or any complications. You can go back in the history of America. Baseball has been the, the one common to bring everybody together to, again, extend across the aisle, reach across the aisle, find common bonds with someone. You hit that earlier that you're bringing that community together, all those organizations, because you're getting everybody in the same room. And if you can get people in the same room, you find those human bonds that you have with another person. And you can't do that on a computer screen. You can't do that on a phone. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, let's, let's, let's continue to allow baseball to unite us. 9-11 was another great example okay. of that and, and, and how it brought us back. What are some final thoughts or anything I, I should have asked you that I didn't? Yeah, I think I think um, just reiterating that um, be on the lookout for something we're trying to do with the Youth Baseball Summit, state of, state of Baseball, to focus on that 14 and under age level. Anybody that wants to get involved will be announcing that in the next you know month or two, um, looking at most likely the November timeframe for that. Um, but just people who want to share ideas and talk about how to – how, how to impact the game of baseball in a positive way, how to recruit and retain players, how to, how, how to build our game um, so that it's here for, for many years to come um, and, and just sharing those ideas and collaborating. I think extremely excited about that. And, and again, the ABCA is such a, I, I tell people like you got to go to the ABCA convention. You're going to learn a lot about baseball, but, but you're going to walk away and say, wow, I just learned a lot about life too. Yeah. I mean, I know you know that too. It, it truly is amazing. You're like, wow, I, you know, whether it be morning and evening routines, which I haven't listened to very well or whatever it may be, um, you know, relationships and, and anything and everything. Um, 
the ABCA has been so impactful on me as a coach and, and in my life. Um, and I'm looking forward to um, sort of building upon the youth and travel committees and, and, and looking at this state of baseball summit. Uh, I think it'll be a big step forward and obviously continuing that in Nashville next January. And you get to come to Omaha now. Absolutely. I can't wait. Oh, trust me. It's on my, it's on my calendar right here. June 15th, 16th. Uh, I'm going to go a couple of days early and stay a couple of days late. I love it. I'm so excited. Rob, so, I appreciate it, man. I always enjoy our conversations and our friendships. So th thank you so much. Ryan, you're the best. And thank you so much for everything you do for our game. I've always been impressed with Rob's commitment to helping the game of baseball. He's a true servant leader, and hopefully with his help, we can help the game of baseball thrive at every level. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Jim Richardson, and Matt West and ABC office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, coachb underscore abca, Instagram, ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.